What's up, guys? It's me, your host, Joey Jergo, and you are listening to the Nothing But Backboard podcast, the only basketball podcast you should be listening to. Totally kidding about that. But you are finding me here. If you're listening to it on audio, you can find me on Red Circle. You can also find me on the Google Podcast as well as Spotify. And for you video watchers at this moment in time, you're probably asking yourself, Joey, you look a little cleaner in the face. Joey, everything looks a little different behind you. What's all that about? Well, I'm here to tell you guys some great news. Um, over the last couple weeks, I have invested in a new camera. So a huge shout out to my jobs, which I'm very thankful for, especially during these times. I've been able to um, afford this, and I'm really excited to use this camera. It's going to be a little different for me, guys, so I hope the quality is as good as the video looks. Um, please feel free to comment in the section down below if you guys think this is a good look. If it's not, please feel free. I'm open to all suggestions, whatever you guys want to throw out. This is for you guys. I'm just here to talk about basketball. I'm really excited to talk about basketball because it's been a couple weeks. It's been a couple weeks. Again, a lot of technological changes have been happening but, of course, there's been a lot of news going on. And, of course, it's March. You know what that means. It's time for the NCAA tournament. And the brackets have come out today at the time of recording. This is Sunday, March 14th. We're going to dive into that a little later. So, this podcast, this episode, episode number three, it's going to be very limited as far as the NBA circuit goes, and we're going to be diving into the brackets because I know a lot of people are going to try to figure out what they want to do as far as what double-digit seed they're going to have on upset, all that stuff. We'll try to get into it in a little bit. But of course, you guys know the drill by now. As I mentioned earlier, if you're listening to this on audio, you can find those in the description down below. And also, if you're watching this on YouTube, please feel free to hit that like button, share with your friends, share with your family. Share with your coworkers, share with your acquaintances, share with anybody that's listening that wants to know about basketball that's on the side of the road and maybe wants to know what the heck's going on in the world of basketball, please throw them the link there. I would greatly appreciate it. So again, a couple shout-outs. I'm really excited about these news. I, I'm really excited about it. So first things first, again, major shout-out to my boy, Raza. You've been hearing his music the first couple episodes. It's no different this episode, this time around. His music is awesome. Please feel free to find his music and find his profile down in the description down below. Also, a major shout-out, because this is new. My sister, who I like to consider a sister of mine, her name's Molly Camacho. She has provided me with a brand new logo. I'm ridiculously excited about it. I, I, I use that word a lot, and it's because I am. I'm elated. We can throw some different terminology. We can throw some different vocab words there for you. But I'm super elated to share the new logo that's actually going to be at the end of this podcast. So, huge shout out to my sister, Molly. You can find her link on Instagram, Illustrated by Molly. That'll also be in the description down below. If you need any projects done that is art-related, that's your girl. She could hook you up. She's amazing. I can't give you any promo codes. There's no 25% off if you type in nothing but basketball, nothing but backboard. You know the drill. But huge shout-out to her. You're amazing. And, of course, guys, if you're the first time listening to this, thank you for hopping on board on this episode. I'm super excited about this one. And, of course, if you guys have been with me the first couple episodes, you guys are amazing. I'm not going to throw shade at you. I'm throwing shine. This is going to be awesome. But, of course, we got a little bit to recap 
in the world of professional sports, in the world of professional basketball, in the association, before we get into the bracket, because I think a lot of people here that are listening are really wanting to hear about what my thoughts are, what teams you guys want to talk about when it comes to tournament time. But of course, we got to talk about the NBA first. That is the first thing that I always want to talk about when it comes to this podcast. And the first thing I want to highlight to you guys is in the Eastern Conference with the Atlanta Hawks. Um, Atlanta Hawks, a couple weeks ago, fired their head coach, Lloyd Pierce. Lloyd Pierce was with the Hawks after three seasons. He had a record of 63 and 120, including a record of 14 and 20 prior to his firing. And now the new interim head coach, Nate McMillan, you've probably heard that name before. Nate McMillan has been a longtime head coach in the NBA. Some of his more prominent roles as a head coach have been with the Portland Trailblazers and most recently with the Indiana Pacers, where they were knocked out last postseason by the Miami Heat. They were swept and he got. He unfortunately got released. But the crazy thing about what Nate McMillan did with Indiana, which I find still kind of baffling to me, is that during his time with Indiana, they found themselves in the playoffs in his four seasons there. And going into the playoffs the previous season, they were injury-riddled. Victor Oladipo was just coming off his major knee injury. Miles Turner was hit or miss throughout last season with injuries. Of course, the only constants that they had was Demonis Sabonis, Malcolm Brogdon. TJ Warren had an amazing bubble during last year, in case you guys forgot. But, of course, they ran short, but that was the same time. Miami was on an amazing run, which led them to the finals. Nate McMillan got fired. He ends up being hired on staff for Lloyd Pierce's assistant and According to reports, so kind of diving into the reason why Lloyd Pierce got fired, according to several reports, so again, please take this with a grain of salt, was according to CBS, there was a lot of fractured relationships amongst players with Lloyd Pierce, in particular with the franchise superstar Trey Young. It's been going on ever since Trey Young came into the league, was rekindled, it was it was being mended at the beginning of the year, and especially when they started off ten and nine, things were looking good. And then next thing you know, they started losing games. The issues started resurfacing, and now Lloyd Pierce is out. Nate McMillan's in as the interim, and of course, there's been reports over the last week how the Hawks are looking at potentially Chauncey Billups or Kenny Smith to take over as their head coach in the foreseeable future. I personally, I think you should ride it out with Nate McMillan. Nate McMillan is a great coach. If there's a guy that you want to take over midseason and hopefully rectify what has been a season of shambles, regardless of what franchise, I would want to have Nate McMillan as my coach to help take things over and hopefully turn things around and potentially see us in the playoffs. Oh, wait. We'll get into the Atlanta Hawks in just a little bit. But, of course, the biggest news to come out of the last couple of weeks, Blake Griffin was bought out by the Detroit Pistons a little over a week ago and has officially signed with the Brooklyn Nets. Now, for some that are probably wondering what in the world is a buyout, how does that work? How does this benefit both sides? Well, you can look at it from the player side. Obviously, they can get out of the situation that they were in, whether they were in a position on a team that's rebuilding They're not finding the role that they would ideally have wanted upon going to that team. In this case with Detroit, they're in a rebuild. 
most recently within the last couple seasons. They traded away Andre Drummond. Blake Griffin found himself now where Detroit is looking at a potential top three pick in this upcoming draft. And here's the craziest stat that was pointed out not too long ago that it's been over 400 days, 400 and change, since Blake Griffin dunked in a game. So that means in 20 games this season, 20 games, Blake Griffin, the guy that's been known to jump over Akia in the 2011 slam dunk contest. The guy's had monster dunks over Timofey Mozgov and Danilo Gallinari first, during his first couple years with the Clippers. Zero. Zilch. Nada. Zero dunks in 20 games this season with the Detroit Pistons. Now, obvious question is, how does Blake Griffin fit in with Brooklyn? And more importantly, does Blake Griffin take Brooklyn over the top in the East and potentially be the favorite for the NBA title. Well, there's a couple factors that play into it, especially if you look at Brooklyn's side. Number one, and this is probably the more important thing, is Kevin Durant's health. Because he's still out with a hamstring injury. Kevin Durant has been dealing with being an on and off season where he's been out due to health and safety protocols. There was even the time during his most recent absence due to health and safety protocols where he didn't start a game. Then he came in the middle of the game, and then he got pulled late in the fourth quarter. And I think that's the big thing for Brooklyn because it's still been only a handful of games, to be exact, seven games, that James Harden, Kyrie Irving, and Kevin Durant have played in the same game. Seven. That's not a lot. And especially with a shortened season. And as we are into the second half of the NBA season, that is probably the number one most important thing for Brooklyn, is whether or not Kevin Durant can stay healthy. And that's going to be the biggest factor for a lot of the favorites going into the second half of the season, especially when you look at the Lakers. Anthony Davis, we don't know his timetable for when he's returning. He'll be reevaluated in another couple weeks with his Achilles injury. Obviously, there's going to be a major arms race between those two, which we're going to get into the next news in just a little bit. But going back to Blake Griffin, does Blake Griffin take Brooklyn over the top? Does Blake Griffin make Brooklyn the odds-on favorite in the East to come out and potentially be the favorite to win the title? I can't say for sure. I'm not, I'm not a fortune teller. Obviously for him, it's going to be whether or not he stays healthy. I'm not. We're not expecting, especially people that have watched Blake Blake Griffin over the last few years. Blake Griffin's not the same athlete. He's not the same explosive guy that's going to be on the opposite end of the pick and roll with Kyrie or James Harden finishing at the rim, dunking over people. Because you've noticed in his game, he's ventured further out to the perimeter where he's averaged over five threes um, during certain stretches of his tenure with Detroit. And whether or not that fits with Brooklyn, obviously you want to keep the floor space, especially when you have three legitimate all-time offensive players with Durant, Harden, Irving. And then you have another guy in Joe Harris who helps space the floor even more. Do you want Blake Griffin or DeAndre Jordan, who's more than likely going to be the guy that's going to be on the receiving end of those lobs or those pick and rolls with those other three guys? It's going, to be, it's going to be an interesting thing to watch going forward. Time will tell. Now, the good thing for Brooklyn is, yes, they signed Blake Griffin, so there is that potential that Blake Griffin can be 
that six-time All-Star Blake Griffin who can put up numbers and can help carry the offense for the Nets. However, I look at it also as a low-risk situation for Brooklyn because they've already they're starting to figure out their rotation. They're starting to figure out with Jeff Green, DeAndre Jordan, Brett Brown, all of these pieces that have already been there with Brooklyn to fit in Blake Griffin and for it to not potentially work out, it doesn't hinder Brooklyn. It's not like they gave up any assets. It's not like they gave up any draft picks. It's not like they gave up any future prospects like they did earlier on in the season when they got James Harden from the Rockets and they gave up Jared Allen, they gave up Karis LeVert and all those other pieces. Thankfully, with this situation, it's not going to be that case where Brooklyn has to give up more assets and they have to give up more pieces. So, it's a low-risk situation for them. Could Blake Griffin potentially be that guy? Again, like I said before, time will tell. I don't know. I'm hoping that Blake Griffin can come back to all-star form, although from a opposing fans perspective I don't because it would just be ridiculously unfair you're probably going to watch one of the craziest pickup teams kind of formed with Brooklyn to where you have four or five guys on the floor that can bring the ball up probably four and then have Joe Harris just be the sniper and spot up around the perimeter while you watch three artists on the offensive end do their thing and Blake Griffin who knows but that's that's one thing that I'm looking forward to, and I'm sure that's going to be the biggest talking point going through the second half of the season is for the Brooklyn Nets, what do we get from Blake Griffin? Now, staying in the Eastern Conference, one name that's been circulating in trade rumors as well as a potential buyout market is his former teammate that I alluded to earlier, Andre Drummond, who's now with the Cleveland Cavaliers. Now, it's been reported earlier in the season where Cleveland decided to sit out Andre Drummond as they've explored trade options, they've explored all these potential ideas of what they're going to do with Andre Drummond, what they're going to do as far as can we get pieces back because Cleveland is definitely going in the direction of rebuilding. They have a lot of young pieces around them. They've got Colin Sexton, Darius Garland, who stepped up this season, and of course they got their center piece and Jared Allen as their big man in the middle that leaves Andre Drummond kind of floating out in the abyss of nowhere in Cleveland so there's been speculations that Cleveland will eventually either find a trade partner to send Drummond away or they will buy him out and of course as we've talked about and I'm sure you've seen in reports the couple teams that are in contention to get the services of Andre Drummond the Los Angeles Lakers and the Brooklyn Nets. Now, I I really assume that Brooklyn's out of the picture because it would just be completely ridiculous and it would be unfair if Andre Drummond went to Brooklyn after they've already gotten Blake Griffin and they have all the pieces that they have. But the one key interesting team for Drummond to join is the Lakers. And here's the reason why I say that is because, number one, as I alluded to before, their main concern is Anthony Davis' health. And we would have thought going into this season that the Lakers were going to pace LeBron, they were going to pace Davis, considering that they had, along with Miami, the shortest turnaround from last season's finals going into this season. And yet we've seen LeBron, he's missed only one game, he's played a lot of minutes, and the biggest question mark has been Anthony Davis's health, where he's been in and out of the lineup, and now he's still out with his Achilles injury, We don't know when Anthony Davis returns, and more importantly, 
when Anthony Davis comes back, what's his what's his um, effectiveness? What's he going to be able to bring to the table for the Lakers? So, if you bring a guy like Andre Drummond into the picture, I think this goes one of two ways. If Andre Drummond comes back and Anthony Davis is healthy and eventually returns. Lakers are still going to be the favorite out West. And not only that, but now you're able to put the Lakers in a situation to where you have another legit pick and roll partner with LeBron and then have Anthony Davis be more of a spot up guy or another dude that you can potentially even run a four or five pick and roll with Drummond because Anthony Davis is that skilled of a player. That could be option number one. Option number two, we're going the route of, well, Anthony Davis is going to be healthy. We're playing as if Anthony Davis is not going to be healthy for the rest of the regular season. He's not going to stay 100% for the rest of the regular season. And going into the playoffs, we don't know if we're going to have the services of the brow. So, bring in a guy like Andre Drummond, who helps fortify the Lakers defensively, and more importantly, one of a handful of guys in the league that can dominate the boards. Having a guy like that, and especially for the Lakers, and if you especially look at the teams that they have to play out West, when you have to look at the teams like the Utah Jazz, you look at teams like the Phoenix Suns, you look at the teams down in the standings that are still in the playoffs, teams like Portland, Denver, Dallas. Yeah, I said it. Dallas. You're welcome, ladies and gentlemen. I'm going to keep throwing the Dallas name out there because I'm going to mention it in a little bit too. When you look at those teams, the number one critical thing, especially... For the Lakers, besides perimeter shooting, which is very selective as far as what the Lakers do, they don't have a lot of weapons on the perimeter. But if you have a guy like Andre Drummond who can help clean up the boards and give them second chance opportunities, that helps the Lakers in the long run. And especially if we don't know Anthony Davis's availability going into the second half of the season, eventually towards the playoffs. Having a guy like Andre Drummond is going to pay major dividends for the Lakers. So, those are two key names. And, of course, the Rockets, it's one of the more sad stories to hear this season. Not from a health concern or a sob story, but it's it's an unfortunate situation, especially with the first, first-year coach, Steven Silas, who was the former Mavs assistant last year, who helped orchestrate the highest rated most efficient offense in league history goes to Houston not only was he expecting to have guys like James Harden Russell Westbrook to help orchestrate a potential contender out there not only that he loses both of them he gets John Wall back which is a great return but John Wall's been in and out of the lineup because of injuries but now they're losers of 15 straight their budding star Christian Wood who's Thankfully, eventually, um, he's set to return this week. They're losers of 15 straight, and there's reports that there's going to be a fire sale for the Rockets. Eric Gordon, who's been injury-riddled for a good portion of his tenure with the Rockets. P.J. Tucker's voices, frustration with the organization. Look for the Rockets to potentially move a lot of their pieces coming up in this Thursday's trade deadline. So, the Rockets... Again, loses a 15 straight, a lot of injuries, a lot of guys that are expressing their frustration. Look for them to move some of those pieces that could help propel any playoff team to the next step. And who knows? We'll see what happens. 
But that's a team to look out for in the next few days as we head towards the trade deadline with the NBA. And I'm super, super intrigued as far as all these names that we've mentioned. Andre Drummond, the Rockets, any other teams that potentially could be in the arms race as far as the trade market or buyout market. Time will tell. I'm looking forward to it. Now, let's dive into... Obviously, this is a big portion of my episode where we talk about my teams of the week and the players of the week. My players of the week is going to be a little iffy. It's going to be a little intriguing only because we just came off the All-Star break and it's been kind of patchy as far as a couple games during the prior to the break. Now we're heading into the first few games after the All-Star break. But I'm just going to throw out a few names so we don't have to worry about all the stats. Of course, we got to talk about the two front runners of MVP when you talk about Joel Embiid, Nikola Jokic of the Nuggets and the Sixers. When you look at Embiid, of course, he's still recovering from, thankfully, only a hyperextension of the knee, so he's only going to be out for potentially a couple weeks. It might look like it's going to be weeks beyond that, but before the injury, Joel Embiid was putting up massive, massive numbers. At one point, he was averaging over 32. He was averaging 16 rebounds, including a 40-point, 16-rebound game against the Utah Jazz. My hope and concern for Joel Embiid, of course, is that he comes back healthy because when he has been healthy for the Sixers, in particular with this year, he has been arguably the most dominant big man, especially down low. But, of course, I just mentioned the other guy, the Joker, Nikola Jokic, has also been putting up massive numbers. And the thing about both of them is that they're still the only two players currently in the league right now with a player efficiency rating over 30. And at one point, they were the only two that reached 31. And Jokic is still the league leader in player efficiency rating, followed by Embiid. Of course, Giannis is finding himself making his way back into the fold as far as player efficiency rating. And please don't be surprised... I know a lot of people have been throwing shade at Giannis over the last year or two. Oh, he didn't deserve to win the MVP. But yet, what Giannis is still able to do on both ends of the floor, and especially the most recent game against the Wizards where he put up a 33-point triple-double, Giannis still makes this case as a viable MVP contender. Will he win it this year? Probably not, unless Milwaukee goes on a ridiculously long winning streak and they end up with the best record in the league then you can definitely throw Giannis' name in the discussion. But to me, it still comes down to Joel Embiid and the Joker. So, that's my players of the week. So now let's dive into my teams of the week. And of course, when you look at the Eastern Conference standings, of course, you look at the top four teams out in the East. Philadelphia's riding a four-game winning streak. Brooklyn's also riding a four-game winning streak. Followed by Milwaukee and Miami, who are also winners of three straight. But that's not my team of the week. As I mentioned earlier, the Atlanta Hawks fired their head coach with a new interim coach in Nate McMillan. My team of the week is the Atlanta Hawks, who are winners of four, count it, four straight, and now are the eighth seed out east. And we're going to dive into the standings a little bit. So, looking at what they've done their last four games, a huge win at Miami by a final score of 94-80. to then they go on the road to Orlando and win 115 to 112, followed by a win at Toronto 121 to 120. Yes, I I said at Toronto. It's really at Tampa, so they're still sticking in Florida. I know, I understand. And of course, 
They finish off with a big win versus the Kings, 121-106. to So, the Eastern Conference Team of the Week for me is the Atlanta Hawks. Winners of four straight, and I'm hoping that success continues because I'm going to keep saying it right now. I'm going to keep saying it. For the people in the back, Nate McMillan needs to be not only the interim head coach for the Atlanta Hawks, but he needs to be permanently the head coach of the Atlanta Hawks because Nate McMillan's a great coach. I love what he's done, especially with his tenure in Portland, especially with his tenure in Indiana. Nate McMillan needs to be the permanent head coach. Don't hire Chauncey Billups. Don't hire Kenny Smith. Nate McMillan can get the job done for Atlanta. Atlanta has a lot of young pieces. Obviously, we talked about Trey Young. They got Cam Reddish, DeAndre Hunter, Kevin Herter, John Collins, who I hope, if his his a potential name, that could also be thrown into the trade market. I hope he stays. And, of course, what they're able to do during the second half of the year. Not saying that they're going to make a crazy run. I'm not saying they're going to get out of the first round. But it would be exciting to see Trey Young and that young squad in Atlanta, what they're able to do during playoff time. That's my team of the week out east. And in the west, I've got two. I know. It's probably the one time I can honestly get away with saying this team's name, and I can be okay with it. Because my first team, my co-team of the week out west, is, of course, the Dallas Mavericks. Cue the horns. Cue the sirens. Let's go. I'm super pumped about it, and here's the reason why. Dallas winners of... Seven of the last nine. Not only that, winners of five of the last six. And the team that some experts were predicting to be the biggest threat to the Lakers, as far as the team to come out west, they're slowly becoming the team that we thought they were. Yes, Herm Edwards, they are who we thought we were. That's like Dennis Green, pardon me. It's Dennis Green who said, they are who we thought they were. And that's exactly what the Dallas Mavericks have been doing. And especially when you look at their recent games, their only loss during this stretch was at OKC, but that was, of course, a second game of a back-to-back, with both without Luka and KP. And yes, Christoph Porzingis is t- finally turning that corner. You can finally see that he's healthy again, and he's looking like the unicorn that Dallas was hoping they were getting out of that trade a couple seasons ago from New York. But outside of that, when you look at their last several games, a game at Orlando, they won 130-124, to 124. and here's an old-school score. They did beat the OKC Thunder by a final score of 87-78. to 78. When I say old-school, I'm talking about like the mid-2000s, something you'll probably rarely see in today's game, but that was a final score in regulation of an NBA game. Then they beat San Antonio 115-104. to 104. As I alluded to, their one loss during the stretch was at OKC by a final score of 116-108. to 108. But their big win last night at Denver by a final score of 116-103. to 103. And you're finally, again, as I mentioned earlier, you're starting to see some of those pieces come together for Dallas. Obviously, you've got Luka Doncic. He's arguably top five, top ten player, depending on how you look at it. He's still up there. To me, he's obviously going to be my favorite player because Dirk's gone. That's all right. But you're starting to see Porzingis be healthy, and you're starting to see him, what he's able to do for the Dallas offense. But another name that I want to throw out to you guys that was a huge piece of Dallas's offseason that's finally turning the corner is Josh Richardson. As I mentioned, Josh Richardson was part of a trade during the offseason that sent him from Philadelphia to Dallas in exchange for Seth Curry. 
And when you looked at Dallas's struggles at the beginning of the year was their perimeter shooting. They were dead last in three-point percentage, and they were still top five, top ten in three-point attempts. So it wasn't looking good. And Josh Richardson was very hit or miss throughout the first half of the year. But now you're starting to see what Josh Richardson's value is to the team on both ends of the floor. Their defensive rating has spiked up in recent times. So... Please do not be shocked if I continue to mention the Dallas Mavericks names in future episodes. Because, of course, if you guys don't know anything about me, just know Dallas has been my squad ever since I was a little kid. And they will continue to be my squad. So, deal with it. But, the team that they did beat last night is my other team of the week out west. And that's the Denver Nuggets. They were winners of five straight. And the big thing for them, obviously outside of a healthy Michael Porter Jr., is the fact that the defensive end for them prior to last night's game and those five games that they won, they were fourth in defensive rating. And that was a huge thing that they had going for them last year that they lost when they traded away and they got rid of Jeremy Grant and they got rid of Mason Plumley and all those other pieces like Michael Beasley. Not Michael Beasley. Malik Beasley. Please, yeah, don't worry about that, guys. But when you look at a team like Denver... They're finally healthy. They're finally putting things together on both ends of the floor. And, of course, with Nikola Jokic doing what the Joker does. Don't be surprised if Denver also makes a deep run in the West. I'm super excited about the playoffs. But, of course, I'm going to be excited about the playoffs when the playoffs happen because we got other things to talk about later on in this episode that has to do with postseason but not for the NBA. But I'm really super ecstatic about it. But, again... The big question mark for Denver going forward. Are we going to see the Jamal Murray that we saw in the bubble? Because Jamal Murray throughout this season has been very hit or miss. He's had games where he's put up, as I mentioned in a previous episode, he put up 50 without shooting free throws and shot super efficiently. But Jamal Murray, especially in last night's game, only went for 10 points, shot under 40%. We're hoping to see Denver finally put all those pieces together again. Now that Michael Porter Jr. has officially played an entire full season, he's played a full 82 games, they still have Paul Millsap, who's a nice veteran that they can lean on at times. The big question is going to be, is Jamal Murray going to consistently be the Jamal Murray that we saw in the bubble? Time will tell. I'm hoping that's the case because, again, for the Denver Nuggets to make that next step forward, Obviously, when you look at the league, everyone's talking about we need to have a big three. We need to have those two or three all-stars that can put us over the top. Denver has that potential with Porter Jr. and with Murray. Now, the question is for both, can they produce on a consistent night-to-night basis? So, that's my teams of the week. Let's dig into the standings. Right now, as we currently stand at the time of recording, so we still have Sunday night's games that are currently going on right now. So the standings are probably going to change Monday morning. But at the time of recording, out east, the Philadelphia 76ers currently sit first. Like I mentioned earlier, they're winners of four straight, followed by Brooklyn, who's still a half game behind them. Then in the three spot, you got the Milwaukee Bucks, two games behind. Then the Miami Heat, six games. And then here comes a cluster. Fifth, sixth, and seventh. You got the Celtics, Hornets, and Knicks, respectively, all six and a half games back. And the Atlanta Hawks, who are eighth in the East, eight games back. 
But the critical thing I want to point out to you guys is that when you look at the Eastern Conference standings, from 4 to the 11th seed, so this is the 4th seed, Miami Heat, all the way down to your 11th seed, Chicago Bulls, is only separated by 3 games. Now, just like last year, we're going to have a play-in tournament. So that means 7th, 8th, 9th, and 10th seeds are going to have the potential to secure a spot in the playoffs. So, as far as that, how that works, with the 7th and 8th seeds, the winner of that play-in will end up being the 7th seed. And so the loser of the 7-8 seed will play the winner of the 9-10 miniseries. And then those two teams will play in a best of three for the final spot out in the playoffs on both sides of conferences. So that's one thing to look out for. Again, 4-11, separated by three games. Just to mention those team names right now, in order, Miami, Boston, Charlotte, New York, Atlanta, Indiana, Toronto, and Chicago. Those are the teams you might want to look out for out east as far as who can squeeze into that last spot out east. As we look into the Western Conference, Utah, who still currently holds the best record in the NBA, sit at 28-10, and 10, followed by the Phoenix Suns, two and a half games behind them at 25-12. and 12. Then we're followed by the Lakers, who are three games back, a half game behind Phoenix. Then a half game behind them, we have the Los Angeles Clippers at number four. The Trailblazers, who sits five and a half games back as the fifth seed, followed by the Nuggets, six games back at first. San Antonio Spurs at seventh, seventh games behind. And the eighth seed right now, I'm saying it right now, ladies and gentlemen, the Dallas Mavericks are the eighth seed out west, seven and a half games back of first. And now, as I mentioned in the Eastern Conference, there's a little bit of a tight squeeze as far as the bottom part of the playoffs where you look at the seventh seed, San Antonio Spurs, and you go all the way down to the Memphis Grizzlies, who are sitting at currently number 10. It's two and a half games. So that means the Spurs, Dallas Mavericks, Golden State Warriors, and the Memphis Grizzlies right now are sitting within two and a half games of each other as they vie for that 7-8 spot as we go into the play-in tournaments that are coming up in a couple months. So that's a couple things you guys want to look out for. And that is the news and all things that we're going to be talking about today in the NA. But of course, ladies and gentlemen, it's March it's that time, and I'm sure this is going to be the big part of today's episode because there's going to be a lot of people that are going to need some advice, whether it's from me or you want to listen to ESPN or check out Joe Lenardi's Bracketology, whatever the case is, because it is March Madness time. It is the NCAA tournament coming up this week. The field of 68 has been set. And we're going to dive into the bracket really quick, but I'm going to throw out a couple key facts, especially for casual people that may see a couple names that they're super familiar with if they're a casual college basketball fan and they're not seeing those two names that I'm about to mention. But here's my two facts for you. First number is the number 45, and the second number is 1976. Both of those are correlated. The reason why, it's been 45 years. 45 years since the names of Duke and Kentucky 
have not been in the NCAA tournament. So again, 45 years that either Duke or Kentucky have been in the field of 64 and eventually the field of 68. This is the first time in 45 years that neither school has been a part of the tournament. As for Duke, COVID issues have been a huge problem throughout the entire season. There was a stretch in time where Coach K announced that Duke was canceling the rest of their preseason games leading into conference tournament. Of course, that threw um, a lot of people um, into a frenzy as far as, oh, it's probably because Duke's not being Duke like they normally are, and all this and that. But if you look at recent times, Duke was making a run, especially in the ACC tournament, prior to finding out that one of their key staff members came down with COVID, which led to the AD of Duke announcing that they were no longer apart. Their season was over, so they weren't going to be able to qualify for the NCAA tournament. So that's Duke's reason. As for Kentucky's reasons, and this is probably what is another reason why Duke didn't make it, is if you look at Kentucky's roster, filled with amazing, ultra-talented freshmen, but the problem with having a roster like that is in the times that we have had right now, there wasn't a lot of interaction and a lot of time to prepare for a college basketball season. So you're starting to see, and we'll go into the bracket, a lot of teams that you see amongst the top seeds in the bracket have had guys that have been a part of the program for at least two years, whereas Kentucky, they're obviously a NBA draft factory as far as having top prospects which again not to say that they don't have guys right now that are going to be in the draft and are going to be top picks whether they're lottery or mid to late first rounders but for Kentucky they had a lot of those players like BJ Boston just to name one where it was that adjustment to the college game adjustment to the speed of the college game and Kentucky had a very rare disappointing season according to Big Blue's standards. So, in case you guys are wondering, where's Duke and where's Kentucky? They're not in the tournament. So I mentioned that first number, 45. The second number, 1976. 1976 was the last time, and only time, that a team has gone undefeated through the regular season, stayed undefeated through conference play, and undefeated through the entire season and finished the season at a perfect record. And that was, of course, Bobby Knight's Indiana Hoosiers, who finished this season 32-0. Why do I bring this up? Because as we go into the bracket, there's one team that has that shot at seeking perfection just like that team 45 years ago, and that will be the Gonzaga Bulldogs, who ended up getting the number one overall seed. So, right now, I'm going to be looking at the bracket, so please feel free to follow along. We're going to go region by region. And after we go through each region, I'm going to give you guys a couple of potential upsets, teams that can make a deep run outside of chalk. Now, when I say chalk, and some people have probably heard that term before, what does chalk mean? What chalk means is essentially you pick every top seed to advance. So that means there's no upset. That means... Your one beats your 16. Essentially, your one seed makes it all the way to the final four. Your two seeds make it all the way to the lead eight. So on and so forth. So you pretty much pick the favorites. But we're going to dig into each region 
and I'm going to point out a few games from each region that you guys should be looking out for in upset alert in the round of 64 and eventually the round of 32. And then going into the next episode, we're actually going to dive into the Sweet 16 and the Elite Eight, and I'll give you guys my predictions and what I think may happen. So let's start off out west. Like I mentioned, Gonzaga Bulldogs are your number one overall seed. They'll play the winner of the first playing game between Norfolk and Appalachian State, who's in the 16th seeds. Then the 8-9 matchup is going to be the Oklahoma Sooners versus the Missouri Tigers, followed by your 5-12, that could be a potential one to look out for, is Creighton versus UC Santa Barbara, followed by your 4-13, Virginia versus Ohio. Then... Your 6-11 has another play-in game. So your sixth seed, the USC Trojans, play the winner of a play-in between Wichita State and Drake. Then your 3-14 matchup is Kansas versus Eastern Washington, followed by Oregon versus VCU. And then your 2-15 matchup is Iowa versus GCU, Grand Canyon University. And I have to say that because I have several friends that are probably listening to this podcast that want to get a shout-out because they're alumni of GCU. Woo-hoo! Good for you guys. <laughs> out East, your number one seed out East is the Michigan Wolverines. They'll play the winner of another play-in game for the 16th seed. That'll be Mount St. Mary's versus Texas Southern, followed by your 8-9 matchup between LSU versus the 9-seed St. Bonaventure. Then your 5-12 matchup is going to be Colorado versus Georgetown. Then your 4-13 is going to be Florida State versus UNC Greensboro, followed by the 6-11 matchup. This one might be the one I want you guys to point out when we dig into potential upsets. Your 6-seed BYU versus another playing game for the 11-seed between Michigan State versus UCLA. Then your 3-14 matchup is going to be Texas versus Abilene Christian. Then your 7-10 is going to be UConn versus Maryland. Maryland is a 10 seed in that matchup. And then finally, your 2-15 matchup between Alabama and Iona. And I just want to point this out for anybody that's curious why I have to highlight Iona. It's because Iona is head coached by Rick Pitino. Rick Pitino, yes. That same guy that coached Kentucky, won a national championship back in the 90s. The same Rick Pitino that won a national championship back in 2013 with the Louisville Cardinals, which, oh, by the way, fun fact, the Louisville Cardinals back in 2013 was the last number one overall seed, not just the last number one seed. I'm talking about the last number one overall seed of the entire tournament to win the national championship. So in case you guys are wondering why that guy looks super familiar in that matchup, it's because, yes, it is Rick Pitino. Now, in the South region, Number one seed, the Baylor Bears. They face the 16th seed, Hartford. Yes, the neighborhood 16th seed going up against the Baylor Bears. In the 8-9 matchup, this is going to be an interesting one, the North Carolina Tar Heels at number nine, Wisconsin. I don't know why I said at number nine, but that is, again, the 8-9 matchup, North Carolina versus Wisconsin. 5-12, the Villanova versus the 12th seed, Winthrop. Now, I'm going to probably point that one out in a little bit, so please be aware of that. Then, in the 4-13 matchup, we got Purdue versus 13 seed North Texas. 6-11 matchup next is going to be Texas Tech versus Utah State, 
followed by the 314 matchup between Arkansas and Colgate. Then, to close out the region, you got the 710 matchup between Florida, the 7 seed, versus Va Tech, Virginia Tech as the 10 seed. And then 215, your 2 seed, Ohio State Buckeyes, and the 15th seed, Oral Roberts. To close out the South region and Finally, in the Midwest region, your number one seed is the Fighting Illini of Illinois. They'll be playing the 16th seed Drexel. The 8-9 matchup, Loyola Chicago, yes, Sister Jean, the same team that made their Final Four run a couple seasons ago. Man, it's crazy to think that it's been two years since we filled out a bracket. It's been two years since we were able to watch an NCAA tournament. So this is pretty exciting. So I had to stop there because, again, that was the big Cinderella back then was Loyola Chicago. So they'll have a higher seed this time around as the number eight going up against the ninth seed, Georgia Tech, the ACC champions. Then in the 5-12, you got Tennessee versus the 12 seed Pac-12 champions, Oregon State. Then we move down to the 4-13, we got Oklahoma State versus Liberty. Then in your 6-11 matchup, we got San Diego State versus Syracuse. 314 matchup. We've got West Virginia versus the 14 seed Moorhead State. And then the final two games of this region is the 7 seed Clemson Tigers versus the 10 seed Rutgers. And the 215 matchup is going to be the University of Houston versus the 15 seed Cleveland State. And that is your field of 68. And just to point out to you guys. As far as, I'm going to pull up my notes really quick. For Because, again, because of what's happening right now when it comes to the tournament, because, of course, we're dealing with COVID and we're dealing with all this. So there, the NCAA has put into account how, pardon me, how there may potentially be teams that end up not being able to play due to COVID reasons. So when you look at the four teams that are going to be next up and fill in those spots. So just to highlight a couple of them, the first team that would be able to play in would be the Louisville Cardinals followed by Colorado State. So my hope is that we don't have to get to that point where we need to fill in. So what this means, say, for example, if it's a 14 seed. So if you go back into your bracket and you say the 14 seed, Moorhead State's not able to play, that means the first team in line to fill in for the tournament would be the Louisville Cardinals out of the ACC. So that's my brackets. Um... I'm really excited about this because, again, when you think about what could potentially be happening and you look at some of these teams, and, oh, by the way, just to name those last two, St. Louis and Ole Miss will be the final two teams in the replacement four in case something were to happen to any of the 68 teams that qualify. So back to the bracket. Let's start off in the West region, and, of course, when I look at that, as I mentioned before, Gonzaga has a chance at history. They could be the next team after the 76 Indiana Hoosiers to go undefeated and finish their season at a 
and zero. But when you look at some of these matchups out in the West region, one game I want to point out to you guys that has significant ramifications for me is not going to be at the top half of the bracket, but you're going to look down at the lower half of your bracket when you look at the 7-10 game between Oregon and VCU. And not because of VCU potentially beating Oregon, but when you look at Oregon, there is a good chance that they can make a run and upset Iowa if things go chalk in the first game's that Oregon could make a run to the Sweet 16 and beat Iowa. Because you'll hear this theme a lot when you look at the pretty much the makings of an upset and why I think certain teams will make the run that they will. comes down to really three key components. Number one is turnovers. Turnovers is the biggest defective portion of a team who's favored that ends up losing a game is they turn over the ball. That's a huge thing. When you don't have possessions that end in quality looks or baskets, that's going to hurt your rhythm. That's going to allow teams to get in transition, allow teams to get looks, which leads to my second point. It's going to be shooting. When you look at arguably the biggest upset in tournament history, when you look at Virginia versus UMBC, UMBC shot the lights out in that game against Virginia. And, of course, Virginia at the time was highly touted as arguably the best defensive team in the country. They ran their pack line defense. But UMBC shot the lights out, which led to them in the making of that huge upset against Virginia. And, of course, the turnovers were a huge portion of that as well. So something to keep an eye out for in that. We're going to go down next to the East region. And in the East region where I look at the potential first 5-12 upset. So if you guys are looking for a double-digit seeded team to get an upset on, you're going to look at the 5-12 between Colorado and Georgetown. Now, I'm not saying that this is going to be one that I'm picking, but this is something for you guys to be um, on the lookout for. And the reason why I say that is because, especially when you look at certain teams to pick when it comes to the NCAA tournament, you want to look at the team that's playing the best basketball, the hottest team going into the tournament. And Georgetown looks like an old-school Georgetown Hoyas team. Not only did they run Villanova in the Big East tournament, but in the championship game against Creighton, Georgetown really looked like a team that really put an emphasis on the defensive, on the defensive side of the floor. And they got quality looks. They got a lot of players. And, of course, Patrick Ewing... Is obviously a name that a lot of people are familiar with. Him being the head coach at Georgetown, that's obviously going to give them some pub, some major publicity in that game. But of course, when you look at Georgetown, they're one of the hottest teams in the country right now. They're playing Colorado, who in the Pac-12 championship game against Oregon State, there was a couple calls late that didn't favor Colorado, so expect them to play with fire in their pants and for them to come out hot. But that could be a potential 5-12 upset if you guys are looking to fill out your brackets. But we're going to stick in this region for another double-digit upset. And we're looking at the 6-11 matchup between BYU and the winner of Michigan State versus UCLA. Now, whether or not Michigan State wins or UCLA ends up winning, I, I favor those two teams to come out and beat BYU on Friday. 
because and the reason why I say Michigan State is probably going to be my team that can make a deep run outside of the round of 64 in their play-in game but potentially could cause problems in the round of 32 it comes down to pretty much three simple simple variables number one when you look at the NCAA tournament and you look at March who's the team that plays arguably their best basketball of the season it's the Spartans of Michigan State that's what Tom is Tim Tom Izzo does and when you think about it there's always that old saying where they talk about there's three certain things in life there's three certainties in life death taxes fill in your blank it always seems like Tom Izzo has the Spartans playing their best basketball during March. And, of course, with the Spartans, they had to deal with COVID issues as well to where they had a lot of their key pieces out for a portion of time. They had a break in their schedule. And, of course, it took them several games to kind of get back in their rhythm. But when you look at what they did towards the tail end of the regular season, huge wins against Michigan and Illinois and Ohio State, those are big, big wins. And when you look at the Big Ten and you also look at the Big 12, those are NCAA games during conference play. As you, as we talked about and they've mentioned it before, the Big Ten led the field with nine teams selected into the field, followed by the Big 12 and the ACC, both with seven. So you look at the Big Ten, and, of course, Michigan State beating the top three teams who were all ranked top 10 at the time of those games. There's no question that you shouldn't elect against Tom Izzo and the Spartans. And then when you look ahead, they play Texas, who's favored against Abilene Christian in the round of 32. I personally don't see Michigan State beating Texas, or I don't see UCLA making a run against Texas. But that's something to keep an eye out for. So that's another double-digit seeded team that you may want to elect to move into the round of 32. But we'll get to Texas in a little bit. Now, another one also in the region, if you guys just want to see the world lit on fire with a bunch of upsets based on technicality because of seeds, look at the 7-10. And UConn, as a 7 seed, yes, they have James Booknight who has a ridiculously smooth game. I could easily see him being a guy that could make a crazy run during the tournament based off just stellar guard play. But again, Maryland, again, is another one of those teams that came out of the Big Ten. They played pretty well throughout the last half of the season. Obviously, they had stretches where they were not looking like a quality tournament team. But Maryland could be another double-digit seed that you want to move on into the second round, into the round of 32. And as we look into the east region, pardon me, the south region, south region with the number one seed, Baylor Bears, the matchup that I want you guys to look at as arguably the more favorited upset as far as a double-digit seed is the 5-12 matchup between Villanova and the 12th seed Winthrop. And the reason why I want to point this out is two major variables. Number one, when you look at Villanova, earlier in the last few weeks, their senior guard, Colin Gillespie, 
unfortunately went down with a season-ending injury, and Villanova has not looked the same. As a matter of fact, in one of their more recent games, at the end of the regular season against Butler, Villanova shot 2 of 29. 2 of 29. That's not a good percentage. From the three-point line, on their way to the loss against Butler, Villanova has not looked the same since Gillespie's injury, and not only that, it showed in the Big East semis against Georgetown. But another key component, the reason why I'm even excited about a potential 5-12 upset when it comes to Winthrop, is Winthrop this year, 23-1. and That's a very good record, and obviously they don't play in a Power 5 conference, so they're not playing the calibers of the Big 12, or they're playing against teams that are stacked like the Big 10, or the ACC, or any of the other Power 5 conferences. But when you look at Winthrop, one of their players I want to highlight to you guys for the Winthrop Eagles is Chandler Vodrin. Chandler Vodrin might be a name that kind of surprises you because when you look at who is the league or the nation-leading leader in triple doubles, it's Chandler Vodrin with nine. So that might be a favorite upset to pick in the first round. I would, I would hedge your bet towards that. Now, moving on. And not looking at it as an upset in the round of 64, but a potential team to make a deep run is your six seed Texas Tech, who opens up the round of 64 against Utah State. And the reason why I'm liking my chances with Texas Tech potentially making an Elite Eight run is because, again, Texas Tech played in arguably the toughest conference in college basketball in the Big 12. And you look at what Texas Tech has been able to do, especially with getting the transfer Mac McClung. Yes, the highlight hype man that you see on Instagram or you see on YouTube. That boy can ball. But you look at Texas Tech, they also, again, like some of those Big 12 teams that you could make an, a case, could make a Final Four run, Texas Tech is one of those teams that could make a deep run. So, don't be afraid if you want to pick a team outside of the top three seats to make a run towards the Elite Eight and potentially a Final Four. Texas Tech could be that team. And finally, when we look at the Midwest region, so again, the number one seed out there is the Fighting Illini of Illinois, but a couple of games to point out to you guys is the 6-11 matchup between San Diego State and Syracuse. Now, Syracuse... Also, like several teams in the ACC, was riddled by health and safety protocols and COVID. So they have found themselves in games where games are postponed and all that. But of course, Syracuse, their matchup is interesting against San Diego State because not a lot of teams play against teams that run 2-3 zone. That's the staple of Syracuse. That's the staple of Jim Beheim. But another reason why we might potentially be on the lookout for an upset with Syracuse is his, yes, his son, Buddy Beheim, who has had games where he's exploded and gone off for 20-plus or even 30-plus. Now, he's a very hit-or-miss player, but there is that potential to, in that first round, he might have one of those ginormous games. And San Diego State has not been a great perimeter shooting team and that's going to be one of the critical things when you look at basketball and especially how to beat a zone outside of finding gaps is obviously perimeter shooting san diego state has found themselves on the wrong end of poor shooting nights so that could be a potential 6-11 matchup for you guys to look out to and a 7-10 matchup between clemson and Rutgers. 
Rutgers again. It's their first tournament bid in 20 plus years. And of course, Rutgers have bounced between conferences. They've gone through four different conferences prior or before their last tournament bid in the 90s. So that could be another upset alert for you guys to look out for is Rutgers beating the seventh seed Clemson. Now, any teams outside of the number one seeds in each region that you guys should be looking out for that could make a deep run, potentially even be your sleeper pick for the national championship. A couple I want to point out to you guys, and this is probably my favorite as far as a team that could win the national championship is the Texas Longhorns. If you guys may or may not have heard me in other conversations before, I'm a huge admirer of Shaka Smart. And obviously, when you hear about Shaka Smart, your first thought's probably going to be VCU. And VCU has had historically crazy runs way back in the day, back in 2006, as an 11th seed, beat Duke in the first round, and more recently in 2011, where they made a run to the national championship game against UConn. And that was, and this is the first team that you can argue that Shaka Smart has actually had his own recruits, his own players that he recruited while his tenure at Texas. And that's a team that's playing their best basketball now. They just won the Big 12 tournament. And of course, it's it's a it's a slaughterhouse in, in the Big 12 as far as just teams that are very capable of making deep runs in the tournament as we speak. Texas had to go through that grueling schedule against the likes of Baylor, against Kansas, against Texas Tech, against West Virginia. Texas finds themselves in a pretty favorable portion of the bracket to where they can make a run to the Final Four. So if you're looking for a team outside of the top seeds, outside of your one seeds or your two seeds, look at Texas as potentially being that team for you. As I mentioned earlier, if you really want to dig deeper and maybe go for a lower seed, look at the six seed Texas Tech again, also out of the Big 12. Big 12, I'm going to keep preaching it, has been the best conference of this college basketball season. A lot of those teams, a handful of those teams, you can make a case were the best teams in the Big 12. Of course, just because a team wins the conference regular season or wins the conference championship tournament doesn't necessarily mean they're the best team, which is the case when you look at Baylor. They didn't win the conference championship, but you could argue they're, they're the best team out of the Big 12. But again, it's not about who's the best team. It's about who's the best team on that night, who plays the best basketball in that particular night, especially in a one-game situation, which I thoroughly enjoy so much about the NCAA tournament in comparison to the NBA playoffs. Not to say that I don't love the NBA playoffs, but what I love so much about the NCAA tournament is that there could be an underdog team, a team you may never have heard of, a mid-major team or a team that going into the tournament was not playing their best basketball, but then can find the right formula and make a deep run and make their way to the final four. So again, I'm going to highlight another big 12 team. That will be the Texas tech red Raiders. And one more team I want to throw out to you guys that could potentially also make a run. And I'm just going to say it just because we we need to have some, some controversy here is we're going to look at an eight seed. And that's again, the Loyola Chicago 
team who, again, if you guys remember from a couple years ago when our last NCAA tournament, Loyola Chicago was a team that made a run to the Final Four. Sister Jean obviously was a major meme around the world. She was a huge figure. But Loyola Chicago, granted, they don't play in one of those Power Five conferences, but they can play exceptional basketball. And they're one of those teams, especially when you look at the field, when you look at those three formulas or three keys to a potential upset, turning it over, second chance opportunities, and shooting. Loyal Chicago can make that happen. So if you really want to see a potential number one seed, which granted, I don't see any number one seed right now that's going to be outed prior to the Elite Eight. But if you really wanted to see the world blow up in flames, look at Loyal Chicago in the second round. Or even potentially Georgia Tech. Georgia Tech who also plays in the tough conference in the ACC, just won the ACC championship by beating Florida State. They could also make a case. They could make a run, too. So all of this is to say, who knows? <laughs> That's the joy of the NCAA tournament. That's the beauty of, of college basketball is that you may never know what's going to happen on any given day. There could be a team that goes off. There could be a team who is favored to win by 15 ends up in a nail-biter and potentially loses on a buzzer-beater. That's the beauty of college basketball, and that's why I'm super excited about this upcoming NCAA tournament, which starts on St. Paddy's Day with those play-in games that I mentioned. I'm going to list them to you again. Those play-in games are Norfolk versus Appalachian State. That is your 16-seeded play-in game with the right to play the number one overall seed, Gonzaga Bulldogs. Congrats to you guys. Thanks for winning your playing game. Now you have to play the number one overall team and arguably the best team in college basketball all year. Then you got Wichita State versus Drake. The winner of that game will be playing the sixth seed USC. Then we go down to another 16-16 play-in game between Mount St. Mary's versus Texas Southern with the right to play the number one seed Michigan Wolverines. And finally, as I alluded to, and again, this is your potential 11th seed that makes a makes an upset in the round of 64, and arguably, if you really want to pick an 11th seed to make a, a Sweet 16 run, is the winner of Michigan State versus UCLA, and the winner of that plays the 6th seed BYU Cougars in the round of 64. So, there you have it, folks. We just covered... The field of 68 for the NCAA tournament. Of course, we're going to dive into the Sweet 16 and the Elite Eight in the next episode. Of course, we're going to talk more about the NBA. And hopefully, we're going to have more news for you post-trade deadline. What's going to happen with all that? Which players are going to be in new uniforms by the time we talk on the next episode? I'm super excited about it. And again, you guys are amazing. Thank you guys so much for listening. Or if you're watching, you guys are amazing people and you guys deserve all the credit in the world you guys are rock stars so really from the bottom of my heart you guys i I can't thank you guys enough so really i'm really excited about what's coming up of course it's that time of the year where we get to talk all things basketball we get to dive into college basketball we get to talk about the march madness we get to talk about post-trade deadline second half of the nba season all of this stuff and of course if you guys are also curious tomorrow that is monday Monday is going to be the college women's basketball tournament selection. 
if you guys need any suggestions with that, pick any of the top-seeded SEC teams, UConn. Nothing's really changed. So don't be surprised if you see all those top-seeded teams make runs. So stay tuned for that. Thank you guys so much again. Again, I am your host, Joey Jergo. This has been the Nothing But Backboard Podcast, episode number three. If you guys are listening to this on audio, you can find me on Google Podcasts. You can find me on Red Circle and Spotify. You just type in the search bar, Nothing But Backboard. I keep saying Nothing But Basketball because it's just it's basketball time. So please apologize. I apologize for that. But if you type in Nothing But Backboard, you can find these this episode right here as well as the first two episodes. And, of course, if you're watching me on YouTube, please feel free to hit that like button. Share it. Subscribe. It's March Madness, baby. Super excited for it. Hope you guys are, too. And I'll see you guys next week in the next episode. Peace.